Welcome to Table Talk. Table Talk is recorded twice a month and is based on our regular midweek Bible studies at the Old Reformed Church at Ballymacashan in Northern Ireland. In order to prepare for this class, please read 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 1 to verse 14. Do you remember that lovely song that Louis Armstrong sang, extolling the virtues of this created orb in which we live? Armstrong sang, I see trees of green, red roses too, I see them bloom for me and you. And I think to myself, what a wonderful world. I see skies so blue and clouds so white, the bright blessed day, the dark sacred night. And I think to myself, what a wonderful world. The colours of the rainbow, so pretty in the sky, are also on the faces of people going by. And I think to myself, what a wonderful world. Oh yeah, indeed. The world is truly beautiful. And this world is God's wonderful creation. Everything in it should fill our hearts with joy and think of our own existence, our own truly blessed lives in this world. Everything is so much better than it used to be, even a hundred years ago. Medical advances mean that we're living longer and healthier. And yet the Bible tells us that one day, perhaps soon, everything in this world will be destroyed. Peter wrote, But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in the which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also shall be burned up. God is going to destroy this wonderful world. And Peter wants us to be happy about that. In fact, he wants us to look forward to it with great anticipation. He says, looking for and hastening on to the coming of the day of the Lord, wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. But why? Why would we want to see this world destroyed? That question, and more importantly, the question what will replace it, is what we will seek to try to understand in this lesson. I'm Bob McAvoy, and this is the Semper Reformata Podcast. The fact is that all the wonderfulness of this world is actually quite superficial. Scientific advances have made life much easier. New technology brings the world so much closer. It keeps us entertained and keeps us informed. We have better food and better health, better dwellings, better protection. Yet somehow we seem to have more unhappiness. We hear of more and more mental illness and more suicide than ever before. The underlying problem is that despite the beauty and the wonder of this world, this world is actually falling apart. 
It's labouring under the burden of the fall and the sinfulness of everything. It is deeply cracked and it's broken and it's groaning as it awaits a future day when it will be purged of all its futility and restored to its original purpose. In Romans chapter 8 and verse 9, the Apostle Paul writes, For the earnest expectation of the creature waiteth for the manifestations of the sons of God. For the creature was made subject to vanity, not willingly, but by reason of him who hath subjected the same in hope. Because the creature itself also shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until nigh. And not only they, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting for the adoption to wit the redemption of our body. Yes, everything in this world is corrupted by sin and broken, and it can't be fixed. So one day God will destroy it, and will make it all over again, and there will be a new heaven and a new earth, in which righteousness will prevail, and the saints of God will dwell in peace and serenity for all of eternity. Now, I don't know about you, but I'd like to know something about how and when that will happen. In all of our previous Table Talk eschatology studies, we have noticed over and over again that there will be a day coming when the Lord Jesus will return. We've learned that on that day there will be a series of events taking place, in fact taking place so quickly that it will seem that they are simultaneous. They will happen in the blink of an eye. Jesus will come from heaven with all his holy angels and the redeemed souls that are in heaven with him. The dead in Christ will rise first, and those souls will be reunited with their new resurrection bodies, just like Christ's glorious body, perfect and without corruption. Those who are alive and remain will also rise to meet them in the air, where they too will receive their eternal bodies. Turn with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 13. But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that ye sorrow not even as others which have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds, to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Simultaneously the lost who are on earth and who are in the grave will also be raised, but unto eternal judgment. John chapter 5 and verse 28 says, Marvel not at this, 
for the hour is coming, in the which all that are in the grave shall hear his voice, and shall come forth, they that have done good unto the resurrection of life, and they that have done evil unto the resurrection of damnation. They shall appear, perhaps in the air, before the great white throne of judgment, where they too will receive their new bodies, bodies full of corruption and disease, pain and filth, and judged by their sinful works, condemned under the broken law, cast for ever into the lake of fire. We find scripture for that in Revelation chapter 20 and verse 13, where we read, The sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them, and they were judged every man according to their works. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Now let's think this through. Let's work out what will be happening in heaven and earth during this split second that I have just described, in which all those things are happening. If Jesus and the angels and the saints have come to the air, if the earth has been vacated, then both heaven and earth at that moment are empty. At that very moment, something truly cosmic will be happening. This earth and the created universe will be utterly destroyed in a great cataclysmic inferno. Second Peter chapter 3 and verse 10 But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in the which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up hasting unto the coming of the day of the Lord, wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The only exception to this great inferno will be the place called hell. Obviously it will remain, for it is already a place of fiery judgment. So as this inferno takes place, as everything in this sinful world is burned up, as every trace of sin and every effect of the fall will be destroyed forever, John describes this inferno like this in Revelation chapter 20 and verse 11. I saw a great white throne and him that sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away and there was found no place for them. And yet, as the fire burns away all the sin and filth and wretchedness of this world, we see heaven and earth being recreated. Second Peter chapter 3 and verse 13 says, Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth wherein dwelleth righteousness. God will make this world all over again. There will be a perfect place for a perfected people. Jesus promises this too in John chapter 14 and verse 1 to 4, that in that heavenly home there will be mansions in glory for God's people. John describes it in Revelation chapter 21 and verse 1 down to verse 5. 
and I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. And he that sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. The universe instantly recreated a new heaven and a new earth for us to dwell upon. One of the things that we learn about this present world in Romans chapter 8 is that it is subjected to vanity. Romans chapter 8 and verse 20 says, For the creature was made subject to vanity, not willingly, but by reason of him who hath subjected the same in hope. The word vanity here is not as we would think of vanity. We think of vanity as being about someone who is self-obsessed, someone who dresses up to attract attention to themselves, vain people. The Amplified Bible puts it like this. The creation was subjected to frustration and futility, not willingly, but by the will of him who subjected it in hope. This kind of vanity is hopelessness. The writer of Ecclesiastes talks about it too, telling us that everything that's done under the sun without God is vanity. It is pointlessness. Ecclesiastes chapter 1 and verse 2 to 4, for example, talks about vanity of vanities, said the preacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. What profit hath a man of all his labour which he taketh under the sun? One generation passeth away, and another generation cometh, but the earth abideth forever. When this earth is recreated, this pointlessness, the vanity and frustration of this present universe will be no more. Creation will achieve its purpose. Its full potential will be realised and peace and harmony will prevail. Heaven and earth will be fully reconciled. In figurative language, Isaiah prophesies of this time. Read, please, Isaiah chapter 65 and verse 17 and write down the rest of that chapter. In that passage, Isaiah the prophet says, For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former shall not be remembered nor come into mind. But be ye glad and rejoice forever in that which I create, for behold, I create Jerusalem a rejoicing, and her people a joy, and the wolf and the lamb shall feed together, and the lion shall eat straw like the bullock, and dust shall be the serpent's meat, and they shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountain, saith the Lord. In the new heaven and earth no one will die of coronavirus, and there will be no cancer, and no depression, and no suicides, and no more sickness, or death, or tears, or parting, or suffering, 
the universe and all those within it shall be at peace with their God and with each other, and perfect fellowship and harmony shall pertain. If you turn to the very last book of the Bible, to the book of Revelation, and to chapter 21, and at verse 3 it says, I heard a great voice out of heaven, saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them, and be their God. Now before we finish, let's try and find some practical applications for us today. Peter encourages us to think about this. He says in verse 11, Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought ye to be in all holy conversation and godliness? What can we learn? The first thing that we learn is that we shouldn't get too fond of this world or its comforts. Let's remember that everything here is perishing and passing away. And one day, everything in this life that we have will be burned up. Remember too that no matter what this world offers us, the new heaven and the new earth will be much, much better. Take comfort from 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 9, where it is written, I hath not seen nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for those that love him. We've got a perfect dwelling place awaiting for us in heaven. Secondly, let's not be distracted by sceptics who scoff when we talk about the Lord's return. The very reason that Peter wrote this passage is because so-called clever men were saying that nothing has changed from the beginning of time, and it never will. Peter reminds them of God's interventions in the past, at creation and at the flood, when he promised that he would never, ever flood the earth again. He promised them that it would be fire next time in Second Peter chapter 3, knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days scoffers, walking after their own lusts, and saying, Where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of the creation. Verse 5. For this they willingly are ignorant of, that by the word of God the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of the water and in the water, whereby the world that then was being overflowed with water perished. But the heavens and the earth, which are nigh, by the same word are kept in store, reserved unto fire against the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. Look particularly at verse 5. This worldly scepticism that says the Lord is not returning is very deliberate on the part of ungodly people. It says, For this they 
willingly are ignorant of. They don't want to believe in the Lord's return. Probably because the implications of that event are so frightening that they simply want to put it out of their minds. Thirdly, let's remember that God's timetable is not remotely like ours. In verse 8 of the passage, Peter writes, But beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day is with the Lord as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. If the Lord has not yet come, it is because of his patience, because he is giving time for us, for mankind, to repent and to trust him. In verse 9, The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Fourthly, as that day approaches, let us be busy for the Lord. Verse 12, Peter says, looking for and hasting on to the coming of the day of the Lord. Not in the sense that the charismatics in the New Apostolic Reformation speak about, where they want to take over the world and conquer the seven mountain mandate and all that stuff. That's just silliness. We are to hasten the coming of the Lord by prayer and by evangelism, by prayer as we seek the will of God to fashion our own lives in preparation for heaven to come, and in evangelism, calling others to repentance while the patience of God yet endures. Fifthly, let us be sure that we are ready. Peter warns us that to be with the Lord on that great day, we must be found by him on that day in peace and spotless and blameless. Look at verse 14. Wherefore, beloved, seeing that ye look for such things, be diligent that ye may be found of him in peace, without spot and blameless. But how can we be? We're sinners. We're at war with God. We're stained by sin and we're guilty under the law. The only way that we could ever be at peace with God and the only way that we could ever be spotless and blameless before God is to be in Christ, to be clothed in his righteousness, to be not depending on our own foul-smelling, filthy self-righteousness. To be ready for that day is to be resting in the finished work of Christ on the cross. So in this very practical passage, where Peter is encouraging us to think about the second coming. He's reminding us not to get too fond of this world or the comforts of it, not to be distracted by people who are sceptics and who say the Lord hasn't come and he's not going to come, to remember that God's timetable is not remotely like our timetable, for God is giving mankind time to repent. He's reminding us to work towards that day, to pray that our own lives will be brought into conformity with heaven and home and to evangelize others, to tell them the good news of Christ 
so that we bring others into the kingdom, as long as the patience of God endures, and to be sure that we are ready and in Christ on that day. So there will be new heavens, and there will be a new earth in which the saints will dwell for ever and ever. If you think that this is a wonderful world, wait till you see what the new world will be like that's going to replace it. Let us long for it. Let us hasten it. Let us prepare ourselves and others for the day when the Lord will come and there will be a new heaven and a new earth for us. If you've enjoyed this lesson from Table Talk, please share it with others. Please open the podcast app on your phone and subscribe to the Semper Reformata podcast. Give us a five-star rating too. That will help others to find the podcast. Meanwhile, keep listening and we'll talk again soon. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen.